And this morning, Jen Ryan Brown will be offering our reading. This reading this morning is from Rebecca Parker in her book, from her book that she wrote with Rita Nakashima Brock from Saving Paradise. Jen. How Christianity traded empire for love of this world. We can come to know the world as paradise when our hearts and souls are reborn through the arduous and tender task of living rightly with one another and the earth. Knowing that paradise is here and now is a gift that comes to those who practice the ethics of paradise. This way of living is not utopian. It is not spring simply from the imagination of a better world, but from a profound embrace of this world. It does not begin with knowledge or hope. It begins with love. To know paradise in this life is to enter a multidimensional, spiritual, material reality. Paradise is simultaneously this earth, a beautiful, luminous creation, and the realm of the dead, this which is connected to the living, but is separated by a thin veil through which the dead can pass to accompany, bless, or guide the living. Paradise is human life restored to its divinely infused dignity and capacity. And it is a place of struggle with evil and injustice, requiring the development of wisdom, love, nonviolence, and responsible uses of power. Paradise can be experienced, a spiritual illumination of the heart, mind, and senses felt in moments of religious ecstasy. And it can be known in ordinary life lived with reverence and responsibility. Paradise is not a place free from suffering or conflict, but it is a place in which spirit is present and love is possible. Entering paradise in this life is not an individual achievement, but is the gift of communities that train perception and teach ethical grace. Paradise provides deep reservoirs for resistance and joy. It calls us to embrace life's aching tragedies and persistent beauties, to labor for justice and peace, to honor one another's, one another's dignity, and to root our lives in the soil of this good and difficult earth. We were sitting in the sparse dorm basement of South Hall, waiting for our laundry to finish, having abandoned our biology homework on the table next to us. It was the fall of my freshman year in college, and Liz, my biology lab partner, and I were having tea and working on our homework late one night when, we started, when she started asking about my church. 
Liz and I had this in common, actually. As college freshmen, we were unusual amongst our peers in that we were both devoted to our religious traditions. Those rare and coveted specimens of college students who were weekly church attendants. But we had never really talked about which churches we went to, and Liz was curious about mine. So it is Christian then, she asked me. Oh, geez, I thought, where to begin? And I started to explain Unitarian Universalism to her, talking about covenant and the belief in love and justice and compassion and the focus on making the world a better place. She looked really sad. Wait, she said. She broached the subject gently, kindly. But do you accept Jesus as your savior? Um, well, not really, I said, feeling almost like I was breaking the news of a bad diagnosis to someone. Unitarian Universalists tend to believe that Jesus was a great man and a great teacher, but not necessarily the only path to a good life. It's just, she said, it's just that I think you're a really good person. It makes me really confused and sad to think that you're going to hell. <laughs> I really liked Liz. She and I were quite friendly, and she was easy to get along with. I found her thoughtful and kind, and she had a good sense of humor. And to be honest, I think this conversation, conversation shook up her sense of world order far more than it shook up mine. Because Liz came from a religious tradition that offered only one type of salvation, a salvation that included some but not others. And though I went to church religiously, you could say, though she and I tried to live our everyday lives with very similar values, her understanding of salvation included her but could not include me. Rebecca Parker, who we heard in our reading this morning, says that human beings do indeed need to be saved, not from a wrathful God or from some eternal damnation, but from the consequences of human sin here and now. And we see the consequences of human sin all around us. And a side note, I know that Unitarian Universalists can tend to emphasize human goodness because it can be so hard to reconcile with our own brokenness and with the brokenness of the world. It can be hard to reconcile with our own falling short. And because sin in this world can be used as a bludgeon, it can, can be a kind of shorthand to be used to control behavior. And we don't want to think of ourselves as sinful. We are good people. We believe in the inherent worth and dignity of all people. It's original blessing. But I understand sin to be separation. Separation from our truest values, from one another, from that which is most holy and sacred in our lives. And it is some, something that each and every, every one of us is capable of, of missing the mark, of feeling distant from our own best selves and what we owe to each other. And it doesn't mean that we are any less worthy of love or any less good. And yet we see sin all around us, in border, border walls and government shutdowns that cause people to lose access to needed pay and food benefits, 
We see sin in corporate greed and in an economy that values profit over people, in violence, in abuse, in oppression. And my friends, I believe we do need some saving, some healing from these forces, these forces that would separate us. Because when we give in to these forces, when we become separated from each other and our values, I believe that ultimately this separation can lead to a sense of despair and a lack of meaning in our lives, whether or not our material needs are getting met. And I do not believe that all suffering comes from sin. Please do not confuse those two. Because as Unitarian Universalists, we believe that suffering is simply a part of life. It is not punishment for a way of living. And as we heard Rebecca Parker in our reading this morning say, she said, paradise is not a place free of suffering or conflict, but a place where spirit is present and love is possible. So what then allows us to enter this place of paradise, which is her way of saying, what then will save us if suffering is a part of life? Salvation comes from that which affirms life, from the powers of love and goodness, those powers used to heal, to create justice, to offer comfort and love, powers that each of us hold inside us, powers that we can share with one another, powers that we can call upon when we show up, when we offer love, when we create justice, comfort, and heal, when we affirm life. Now, I'd like to ask you each to put away your orders of service because I'm giving you a pop quiz. Okay. Do not look at your order of service. I'm serious. So what does universalist refer to as in Unitarian Universalist? A, universalists believe in the universe as the creator. B, Universalists believe in universal salvation, as in no one goes to hell. C, universalists believe in all religions universally. Or D, universalists believe in one universal God. <laughs> Shall I go over which is which again? <laughs> it was B, universalists believe in universal salvation, as in no one goes to hell. And historically, our universalist ancestors believed, as they began to articulate a universalist theology in the early 1800s, that if God were a loving parental figure, as they had been taught, then why would a loving God send any of God's children to suffer eternally? And furthermore, they argued, good people, if they were truly good, I like this logical argument, good people, if they were truly good, could not be eternally happy if they knew that some souls were eternally suffering. And if they were happy, then they wouldn't be good people. So therefore, they wouldn't be happy, and then it wouldn't be heaven, right? <laughs> now, I don't know what happens when we die. And my own personal conception of God looks a lot less like a decisive puppeteer and a lot more like a loving force calling us toward one another, a witness, a presence, a sense of being part of something greater than ourselves. 
looks like community, wholeness, justice, love, mystery. But what I love about this historical view of universalism and what I love that it has to offer me is that it reminds me that we cannot be saved unless we all are saved. We cannot be free unless all of us are free. That our liberation, our healing, our salvation is intertwined and interdependent with one another. It is intertwined right here, right now, in this life and on this earth. And we are called to create paradise here and now, which is not a place that is free from suffering, but is a place where we resist injustice, where we use our powers to heal and not to hurt, and where spirit is present and love is possible. Now, I know that people tend to be wary of the word salvation. And nowadays in our congregation, and even more so perhaps in our wider world, because I suspect that many of you associate salvation with the people, with people who were like my college friend Liz, because where, for whom salvation means that some are in and some are out, and their work is to figure out where that line is. But I also believe that the purpose of this faith is nothing less than salvation. Because, my friends, this faith has saved me over and over again. It has given me hope when I have most needed it. It has given me community. It has given me depth. And it has given me a framework for finding meaning in my life. This faith has saved me. It has saved people I love. And I know this faith has saved many of you as well. Megan Dowdell, in her essay in the book Testimony, The Transformative Power of Universal, Unitarian Universalism, talks about un how Unitarian Universalism has saved her. She writes, when I was 11 years old, I entered a Unitarian Universalist church in New England for the first time on my own. I was invited to sing in the youth choir that traveled among several churches downtown and after one session in the religious education program, I wanted to return every week. Arriving without my parents, I quickly became an adopted child of the church. A family would bring me along to the church retreat and make sure I had a ride to come serve food at the silent auction or volunteer in the childcare program. Looking back, I wonder what the members must have thought about this young girl who was always the first to arrive and the last to leave. Of course, what they didn't know then was that my home was not a safe place. I suffered consistent abuse by my father and prolonged periods of silence and neglect. Some might call this hell. Megan goes on to say, to talk about the ways that her church saved her over and over again when she was coming out as queer as a teenager and she was invited to co-chair their welcoming committee team when the trusted adults offered her support and opportunities, with her minister offering pastoral care and encouragement to begin healing the wounds of her childhood. She closed, through Unitarian Universalism, I grew into a kind of vision of family and community that condemns violence of all kinds and releases the desire for retribution that would keep me further away from my own flourishing and well-being. And well As a Unitarian Universalist, I cannot claim a God who simply damns those who go to bad, do bad things to go to hell. 
Instead, I find myself saved in a community that wishes to build up a world of justice, mercy, and compassion for all, knowing that I am not the last to need saving. When I think about the transformative power of Unitarian Universalism, I think also about the Our Whole Lives program, or OWL, which is our comprehensive sexuality education program offered nationally as a lifespan program. We offer it in this congregation for seventh, seventh graders and have also begun offering it for kindergartners. And since the 1970s, Unitarian Universalism has been offering comprehensive, inclusive sexuality education that affirms sexuality as a healthy and whole part of life, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation. And of course, OWL does so, more, so much more than teach, teach about sex. It also teaches about communication and boundaries and recognizing unhealthy relationship dynamics. But I am most moved, however, by the fact that during the early years of OWL, when so many religious traditions were condemning LGBTQ people and using the HIV AIDS crisis to further vilify and condemn the gay community, that uni the Unitarian Universalist response was to offer more and more inclusive and more and more comprehensive sexuality education to widen the circle instead of narrowing it. And I often say that OWL is a life-saving ministry of Unitarian Universalism, and I think that is true, because OWL affirms life, OWL affirms identities, and OWL offers tools for engaging in sexuality and relationships in a way that is as safe as possible, both physically and emotionally. Life-saving, life-affirming, salvation. When we create communities that support and affirm life, that harness the power of love to transform our lives, we offer a kind of salvation and healing of the wounds of this broken world that we cannot do alone. Rebecca Parker again writes, in every situation, love asks, what will serve life? This means human love comes from a growing wisdom about life itself. If one wants to love, she says, it is life one must seek to fully know. To love is to choose life. My friends, we cannot be saved alone. And we do not have to do it alone. We are saved by love, by community, by faith, by something larger than ourselves. We are saved by that which affirms life in the presence of suffering. We are saved by one another. We are saved when we wield the powers of love for life, for each other, and for love, for justice. May we each be the, the agents of our own salvation. May it be so, and amen.